Well, let's open our Bibles today to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 6. Last week we talked about um, family matters, right? You guys remember that? And how if we're going to be real family and really love one another, then we got to be willing to do whatever it takes to warn people and to guard people from sin. So we, we confront one another. But remember the whole premise was it's love, it's not judgment. That Jesus gave us a way to go and talk to people and work them back because we love people. And that Paul was saying, we don't judge those outside the body because they're already living by a different set of standards. So we don't call them to live to the standards we are until we show them that there's a better way. But for us that are in the body, we better love each other. We better be real about it. We better be real enough to, to talk the raw, real stuff, even if it's stuff that we don't want to hear or friends don't want to hear, but we need to hear. So as we're talking about this family thing, Paul goes a little bit further now this week with the whole family thing, and he, he jumps into this. And remember, Paul's in the city of Ephesus. He used to live where he's writing the letter to, Corinth. He's writing to the Corinthians, and he used to live there for 18 months. And he started a church there. And there's a body of believers. And there's a lot of distractions around in the city of Corinth. It's like Vegas, right? There's a lot of sex stuff. There's a lot of money stuff. There's a lot of people coming through town with all these philosophical ideas and exchanging human wisdom and all this. There's this temple, uh, Greek goddess Artemis, that she's, uh, she's right outside of town or in town. Huge temple, a thousand temple prostitutes going around and practicing sexual immorality because they're not in God's rules in his house and playing by what's best for them, they're just indulging in whatever. Paul is writing to say, guys, you got off track somewhere along the line. Since I started the church over there, I've been hearing reports, and I got to tell you, hey, be a family. Hey, stop judging each other. Stop, watch out for the stuff in the world. And today he's going to take us into chapter 6, where he's giving us a clear warning. He's giving the church here in Corinth a clear warning that says, do you want what's best for your life? Do you want what's best for your life? Don't you want God's plan A for your life yeah. versus settling for plan B, C, D, E, you know, whatever, the junk stuff? Don't you want to know that every single day when you wake up, God, as long as I'm in your plan today, like it may look shaky, I'm not really sure, but your way is the best way, so I'm going to go for it. Knowing that God is smarter than you, that he created you, that he's got good plans for your life. And if you hold to that, then life is going to go good for you. The question we asked earlier, what does a perfect life look for you? Can you name to me some things that you would say that your life would be better, your life would be perfect if this happened? Or maybe you already have it. Maybe it's already a good relationship with your spouse or whatever. But what are some of the things, I want to hear some personal stuff from you guys. What are some of the things that you would say, oh, I would have the perfect life if this? Anybody, let me hear some stuff. Good health. Good health. That's a big one for a lot of us. Right here. If my grandkids were here and not on the mainland. If your grandkids lived with you here. Good. That's it. If you are completely free, a good Christian with God, and in Hawaii? In Kauai. In Kauai. All right, that's good. <laughs> He's got it, man. Detail. That's, that's what we're talking about here, Brad. More travel. More travel. And I know travel for him, he wants to do it for the Lord. Missions. I know he's real interested. Last week we had the missions meeting. Brad signed up for like five trips. Yeah, any one of these sounds good. I just want to go big. But if you want to come on mission trips with us, you can still check out the website and stuff. We want to take you. But what other things in your life? Are you looking forward to? I see Robert back there. If I could live for free with no bills. <laughs> yes. All money solution solved. That would be a good thing. I talked to a brother here just in the little time we had together that says, if my wife were a believer, how many of you are holding out for a spouse, a family member, a real friend, 
man, they need to know Jesus. My life would be good, right? I hope that all of our hands go up when, when we ask things like that because we have to always have a heart for the lost, right? It's not about we got into this church and we're in the kingdom, good for us. It's about, wait, who else can I tell? This is good. I got to let the rest of the world know. But all of these things we're talking about, this perfect life, what is best for me? And Paul is basically saying this today. You want what's best? Well, let me tell you your boundaries and your parameters. All of these other things are junk and are going to get you worse than second best. There actually is no second best. God is it. Nothing compares to God. And so he's clearly warning this church, hey, Corinthians, watch out because I see you kind of slipping and your lives are starting to look like how your life looked before you found Jesus. You don't need to go back to that stuff. Stick with him. It's the best life possible. John 10.10 is a famous verse we always quote. Uh, the thieves came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give life and life in abundance, life to the fullest. Well, I read it in the message version this week, and it, and it kind of it says it even in a different way, a little bit nicer. It says, Jesus says, I came so that they, my, my family, Christians, can have real and eternal life, more and better life, than they ever dreamed of. And here's Paul saying, guys, let me correct you, put you back on track. If you want plan A for your life, the best life possible, here's the stuff you need to do. But let me give you the clear warning. Doing this other stuff, it's going to screw up your life. It's going to lead to bad consequences. You left that life behind. Let me remind you, let's stay on track with God. So let's look at verse 1 in, in talking about doing what's best for God's family. Kind of ties in with last week. He brings about a, a specific problem that he found out that is going on in Corinth, but it could be a warning to all of us. It may not apply to all of us. It may never apply to all of us, but it's something we've got to watch out for. That is Christians in the family of God suing one another and bringing lawsuits against one another to outside courts, to the world's courts. Now, this is what he says. When one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to the other believers. Remember, he's coming with the whole thing, you're a family, you're a family. Why are you going outside the family? Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you're going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? You know what that means is there was a re uh, rebellion in heaven, right, with Lucifer trying to stand up and be God, and a third of the angels sided with, with the devil and were thrown down, cast down to the earth, right? And they became the demons. And so what he's saying here is, you know, someday on Judgment Day, all God's children are going to stand with God in judging those that, that, are, that are sinful, that are outside of God's family. All of those fallen angels, that we're going we're gonna to judge over them because we went on the right side and we're going to speak over them. So he says, if you're going to judge the world and you're eventually going to judge the fallen angels... You should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go, out, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? And what he's saying about these outside judges is, he's, he's not saying, oh, let's, let's throw away all judges and everything like that. What he's basically saying is, you know, it's sad that we can't solve it amongst ourselves. And we have to go to people who don't even know God's laws and are outside of God's family. Now, the government is good, and the judge and the court system, that's a good thing. But if we're in God's family and we live by his rules, don't we want to keep it there and live according to him versus people who are, who are talking about justice that's not based on the God of justice, that's not, not living lives or making laws that glorify or honor God? Don't we want to keep it amongst what God's people are all about? Then he says this. This is, this is harsh words in verse 5. I am saying this to shame you. 
That's heavy. Paul's writing to these Corinthians because he's going, you guys are my friends. I started the church there with you. What's going on? I'm saying this. I hope you feel ashamed. Shame on you. Shame on you guys for being a God's family, but not really being family. For going and having to tattle and spread your disagreements out with other sources. How bad does that make God's family look? He says, isn't there anyone in the church who's wise enough to decide these issues? But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. Right in front of the people that we're over here going, I want to invite you to my church for Easter. Hey, come to the family fun fest and stick on a Velcro wall or, you know, whatever you're going to do. I want to invite you to come in and, and join us. And they're going, they're looking at us and they're going, oh, but you guys just beef with each other. And then you go tell everybody else outside about it. Why would I want any of that? Right? He's going, guys, don't let it get so out of hand that you have to file lawsuits and get, take it to outside courts right in front of the unbelievers. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. And then he, he kind of presents a little challenge. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. That's heavy. He even takes it so far as saying, if you really love each other and you're really family and you're really supposed to have unity, once in a while, don't you think it's okay to go, well, we, disagree, we agree to disagree, let's get over it because we're God's family, right? Why can't you just at once in a while just go, yeah, you said that, that kind of hurt my feelings or whatever, but you know what? I forgive you. We're not going to fight about this thing anymore because what you and I have is stronger. What God has given us, family matters. And this is what Paul is saying. Stop doing this. You're making yourselves look bad. You're basically denying the power of Christ in your life by saying, well, he can't help us. He can't solve it. So we're going to have to go to outside courts. That's heavy. And, I, and don't get me wrong, because I understand there's people have had to take it this far. And it, it's a real bummer that it would have to go in God's family to outside lawsuits and court cases and stuff like this. There may be some really rare, weird, extreme thing that you've been a part of and Christians had to bring in legal matters and whatnot against each other. But basically, Paul is giving us general rule is act like a family. Maybe it would have never had to go that far if you would have caught it earlier and loved one another and confronted. And maybe it's just up to you or to me to suck it up and go... I'm really mad still, but you know what? I'm just going to give it to God. I forgive you. I'm not going to push it any further. Let's just, let's be done with it because we're family. So he's really pushing this family concept. But he's saying, he's reminding us, God has given us his Bible, his instruction manual for how to work things out in the family. Jesus has given us his authority and he's given us the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. So with all those tools, how come we're having to go outside of his family and solve these problems? In Matthew 18, 18, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. In other words, he says this, if you're speaking for me and you're doing things my way, then it's the same here, then you've got my authority from heaven to talk about those things and to make right decisions, to judge between right and wrong. Because you're doing it for me, you're living for me, then you're speaking by my, he's giving us his authority right there as Christians to handle matters. Verse 19, he says, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. That means if two people are figuring out a dispute and we're both believers, Jesus is right there in our midst, helping us, speaking to us through us through the Holy Spirit, filling us with wisdom that we don't necessarily have. Why would we need to go to outside wisdom if God's going, I, I'm there with you? I've given you my authority. You have the word of God right there. Figure this out and love each other. Don't make the rest of the family look bad. 
Here's what I want you to write down if you're writing notes to take to mini church or to whatever. Write this. Family problems should have family solutions. Right? Family problems should have family solutions. When, when I get into a discussion with my wife, anybody, you have those with your wife at times? It was a heated discussion, right? We can call them fights, arguments, whatever. I get into those from time to time. Do you guys know that? The pastors fight with their wives too. I literally have friends that come to church like, what, you fight? And I'm like, I hate to tell you I'm, I'm not perfect, right? <laughs> no, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with my own humanity and my Christian walk every day just like you are and I'm living according to God and he's helping me through stuff. But once in a while, my, my wife and I will get into it. But I know that I am not allowed, not supposed, and I will not go out and gossip to my friends and tell everybody how bad my wife is, right? Because that's in my family. That's for me to deal with, with God, with her. We're going to work it out. If I go outside and I start telling everybody how bad Kanani is or whatever, then you know what's going to happen? Everybody's going to think, oh, Pastor Carl is a jacked up marriage. Oh, he's such a junk husband. Or Kanani's such a junk wife. And wow, you know, if they're like that, then that discredits, you know, what they preach about and hypocrite, blah, blah, blah. Right? If I go and tell everybody and air my dirty laundry, right? That's stuff that's between me and her to work out. Because if I say all the bad stuff, that's all that people remember. Isn't that true? That you could have an incredible life. You see it in the media all the time, right? Celebrity, great person, do all this good stuff. And one time they mess up and they do one little thing wrong. And everybody jumps on that and we judge them the rest of their life. And that's the same thing within God's family. Keep it in here. Because they don't know that later on that day, I went and made up with my wife. And we sought the Lord and we prayed. And actually, we grew stronger because we had that disagreement. And our life and our marriage is incredible. But all they remember is, oh, Pastor Carl was talking and gossiping about his wife. And they got a messed up marriage, right? It discredits what God is doing in my life. And in our family, why take it outside? Why gossip? Why take it to, to court when you got disagreements with other people in the family of God? Why post it on Facebook? Right? Don't we see that all the time? Like, it's such a bummer. And I'm not just talking about in our own families. I'm talking about why do Christians have problems with Christians and then they stick it out on the whole World Wide Web? And it's like, well, I don't like this church and da-da-da. Like, really? We're on the same team. We're going to spend eternity together forever. When we get to heaven, we're going to find out that everybody's theology and doctrine was a little bit off, right? Just because we don't all see eye to eye. We're, you know, we're not perfect. Our church isn't the perfect way, but we, we're trying our best. But why do we need to show the outside world that we fight amongst ourselves? I just read someone's blog the other day, some random atheist guy writing about how Christians are hypocritical, blah, 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 blah. And you know what? We just feed that fire because we look bad because we're fighting amongst ourselves. And here's Paul going, guys, remember, we're family. Can we please not let it go this far where it gets out of hand? I think this is a good word for us. Verse 9, he says, he, and I just put this in your notes, God clearly tells us what's best. Because we're talking about today what's best for me. I want you to understand that in Scripture, God has given us very, very clear guidelines. God is not vague. Write that down. God is not vague. Sometimes we, we judge sin and we go, well, that's not that big of a deal. Oh, why are you so uptight about this? And don't tell me what to do. And I don't like your opinion for agenda for my life or I feel this. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Well, here's what we got to realize. The word of God is the standard for our lives. Amen? If we call ourselves Christians. If we call ourselves Christians, we don't open ourselves up to, well, this is what the pastor thinks and this is what I think and this is what I feel and this is what she feels and he feels right? We have to have some set of standards that are rules for all of our lives to live by 
And that, don't you agree that it, that it is God's word? That when he's given us that, we have to understand in there are all the clear guidelines and the things I need to know. He tells me where I'm falling out of my boundaries and he tells me what's good within the boundaries, what's gonna get me the best in life. And here is where Paul says this. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong, and by, by do wrong, the original language means those that are, uh, it calls them wicked or ungodly or unjust. He's talking about the non-believers. Maybe as we would refer to them, because we have a heart for the lost, the pre-believers, the ones that we haven't yet had a chance to share Jesus with that are lost in the world. He says, don't you realize that those who are stuck in that lifestyle who don't know God yet, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this equates with getting the best for your life. The kingdom of God, when Jesus talks about it in the Bible, kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it's, it's double meaning a lot of times. It's not just um, kingdom of heaven is when you die and you live forever um, with all of, all of God's children in the future. But a lot of times he's saying the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is here now and it's in you. It's you living your life as a Christian in Jesus Christ. That means as God intersects with my life and he moves in it and he blesses me and he's forgiven me and he saves me, that's I am living in the kingdom of God right now. And he's saying that those that don't know God yet and they're living their life out there indulging in all of that stuff, they're not gonna get the best of life. They're not gonna get the relationship with God, the blessing, the answered prayers. They're just not gonna get it. So he's, he's reminding these Corinthians, remember, these people out there, they're not going to get the best in life. And he says this, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in, and he gives a list. Here we go. Clear parameters, clear boundaries. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. None of these will get the plan A, best life possible because they don't know God and they're outside. Now, he's not pointing fingers at Christians right now and going, you this and this and this. He's not saying if you cheated on your math assignment last night that you're going to hell, right? He's saying that these are people, he's clearly describing the ungodly, the unjust, those who have not met Jesus yet, they're not going to get the best in life. If you're struggling with some of these sins, but it's like a progress, a, a process in your life, and you've got Jesus in your life and you're getting there, you're not actively engaging in this stuff, but every once in a while it's like, oh no, I kind of fell. He's not saying that you're losing your salvation. He's saying those outside of the family of God, they will never ever receive the God's best for them in their lives, okay? And then he says this in verse 11. Some of you were once like that. In fact, in another place in Romans, Paul actually says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when I read this list, a lot of us can go, ooh, I kind of relate to that, risk, that list a little bit. I kind of, in one of those things or another, could describe me or how I used to be. And this is the beauty of it, verse 11. Some of you were once like that. But, here comes the big but of today's lesson. The big but. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen? Thank you, God, for sending Jesus. That yes, I used to be like that. And yes, my natural tendencies are to do those things. But thank you that I've been cleansed. Thank you that I met Jesus Christ. Thank you that that stuff no longer has a hold on me. I'm not a slave to that stuff anymore because of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a good word? And so he's saying, those that are outside and that, that live like this, they're never going to get the best stuff in life. But God is clearly here defining the stuff 
that will take us away from the best in our lives. Thank God for Jesus that healed us of that, but don't go back to that stuff. Let me give you guys a list of scriptures, if they can put that one up there. And this is where I want you just to write, God is not vague. His word clearly defines what is and what is not best for us. If you look, just write those verses down and go look them up later. Because what these verses talk about is where God's word, not the pastor, God's word, not religion, God's word, not conservative Christians or whatever, God's word, the standard for our life, says this is the stuff that's outside of the boundaries. This is the stuff that will hurt you. I promise. I'm God. I'm smarter. I promise you guys. And this is the stuff he lists in all of these verses. Sexual sin, meaning anything outside of a man and a woman together within the confines of marriage. The Bible defines as sexual immorality. Okay? And again, you can argue and say, but I was born this way. But I'll argue back with you and say, there's a lot of people that are born with other tendencies that do a bunch of other stuff. That's our sinful nature. But God's word has got to be the final word. Amen? And that's what we bring it to. But we don't judge other people. We love them into understanding that God's plan is best, but we got to understand that it is God's plan, and it's not humans speaking and making up the rules. And he, he says it's sexual sin. In all of these verses, sexual sin, drunkenness, greed, lying, abuse, anger, laziness, pride, revenge, lust, envy, jealousy, gossip, selfishness, idolatry, obscene stories, and coarse jokes. You continue to live that kind of a lifestyle without trying to change and without receiving Jesus, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And a lot of us, that's the life we used to live before Jesus. And even with Jesus now, we're working through a lot of those things, right? I mean, it's an ongoing process in our life. So, but God is clearly telling us, this is no good if you want the best for your life. And he's saying, there is something that really is good, but we got to understand that all sin is bad and we can't compare. Because did you notice in the list that the Bible says in those verses that you can say sexual immorality it's right up there in the same list as laziness. Isn't that weird? Do you guys realize that God is saying one ounce of dirt of sin in your life is bad? Don't try to play it off. Don't try to do the, well, you're way worse because you do this and I do, I do less. Paul is saying, that's for the old life. That's for people that don't know God. That's for people that are not going to receive God's best in their life. And he's, he's warning the Corinthian church and he's warning us, be careful about that. And he says, some of you used to be like this, but praise God for Jesus. Look at the next few verses I want to put on the board, and I want you to write down. Because this is, this is the set of verses, and many more like it in Scripture, that gives us hope. That basically says, here's where not to go, here's the boundaries, but here's what you do have when you say yes to God and you stay away from those boundaries. These verses right here, uh, the, first, uh, the Titus verse says, we've been bought, forgiven, saved, cleansed, given the Holy Spirit and eternal life. 1 Corinthians verse says that we've been made holy and set apart for his special purposes. The Romans verse says that we've been given right standing with God. He no longer says, you're guilty. He now says, you're innocent because of Jesus. Keep walking that way. You have right standing with me. And then I love the John 15, 15 verse because it says, I, I no longer call you my servants. I call you my friends. Isn't that heavy? That Jesus would say, you're my friends now because of what you've done to say yes and to yield your life to me and to accept all that I did for you on the cross, we're friends. In fact, another place he says we're brothers and sisters, that Jesus is our, our brother because we have the same father. That's awesome. 
that as we're talking about all the negative stuff, and some of us are feeling kind of like, oh man, I'm slipping, I gotta be careful, this is a negative verse. No, I don't want you to read that. I want you to focus on the fact that God says, but those are just the boundaries. Just stay away from those boundaries. Stick with God because, because of Jesus, we're called his friends. Because of Jesus, my friend who used to be a Yakuza in Japan, who used to take people's lives, is now a pastor and he's giving eternal life away to people in his church. Praise God. Yeah, isn't that good? Because of Jesus, people that I know, men and women who have been sexually immoral or promiscuous within the confines of their marriage, because of Jesus, these people that used to fool around on their spouses have become godly men and women who are becoming amazing husbands, amazing wives, amazing mothers and fathers and saying, I found Jesus, that stuff, I left it behind. Praise God, he cleansed me and he took that all away. Praise God, there's power in my life. Because of Jesus, alcoholics can find freedom and then go back and help other alcoholics to find freedom as well. You guys know Pastor Ernie Hunt in our church? That's his job. He was an alcoholic for years. Jesus set him free. Now he runs Celebrate Recovery, the Gateways Ministry, and he's pulling people out of addictions into Jesus' glorious life for them. Isn't that good? Because of Jesus, that's what we have to focus on. Broken families find healing. Divorce is defeated. People who are the most hated become the most loved because of Jesus. But Paul is warning us, but you know what the, the parameters are, and these are the boundaries. Be careful. And then in verse 12, he confronts this, this thing that was going around, this attitude in the Corinthian church where they were saying this, and it might say it in your, in your Bibles. He quotes them and he goes, well, you say, I'm allowed to do anything. And the Corinthians were kind of abusing their freedom. We used to be like that. We got saved. We got cleaned up. We got forgiven. So I'm free. So I can like kind of dabble a little bit because I'm forgiven, right? I can kind of push the boundaries. I can, I can do little stuff that may seem sinful, but nah, God's got me. And people, we abuse this freedom, don't we? Is it sometimes we think, now, nah, well, I'm just going to ask forgiveness after, and it's all good. And God's going, you know how risky that is? You know how terrible that is to, to fall into those kind of habits and where that can lead you? And here's Paul saying, well, you say I'm allowed to do anything. And Paul says, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, Paul says, I must not become a slave to anything. Well, you say, food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. Well, this is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. They're using the example like, well, it's food. It's made for eating, so I'm going to eat as much as I want. Even that, if left unchecked, if you start indulging in food too much, right, it turns into overeating, it turns into gluttony, obesity, health problems. Even this, he's going, be careful. Just because you have the freedom to do it doesn't necessarily mean it's good for you. Does that make the point? He's going, yeah, you, 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 you're forgiven, but that doesn't mean you go back to it. Here's, here's what I want you to realize, is that the world around us and society around us says that things are okay that God says are not okay in our life. Write this in your notes. Socially acceptable is not the same as spiritually acceptable because God's plans are higher and better for us. Did you know that God cares for you more than society ever will? Did you know that? God actually cares about you and loves you far more than this world around you ever will. And so whose standards are you going to live by? Socially acceptable, not the same as spiritually acceptable. And this is what he's talking about. Don't try to compromise, make excuses, or justify certain small sins. You got to take a stand and say, I, I got freedom and forgiveness from that. That means I don't ever need to go back to that stuff. I'm done. Let's leave it behind. Why should I go back there and try to re revisit this stuff? You've seen the, um, the celebrities that do the weight loss programs and the diets, right? Um, what are some of the, the popular... Uh, diets that are out there right now? Jenny Craig? 
Nutrisystem. Peace Body. Weight Watchers. Seafood. Seafood diet. You see food, you eat it. <laughs> what else? Atkins diet, South Beach diet, Slim Fast. What is it? Oh, Metafast, another fast. Another fast thing, okay? Well, fasting itself, right? Lose weight right there. Um, but there's all of these fad diets, right? And you guys know as well as I do, you, you watch, you read the media, People Magazine or whatever, right? You see the celebrities kind of be the guinea pig for you, right? You're thinking about going on the diet, but you want to see first if Christy Alley can pull it off or not, right? Let's see if she can do it. Like, oh, it kind of works, right? But this is what we watch when we watch the celebrities do the diets is they find some new product, boom, lose all this weight, looks super good. They're, they're spokesmen for it. They talk it all up. But you know what happens? They start feeling all comfortable in this new thing that they found. And what they do is they start getting a little bit cocky. They start going, you know what? Because look, I, I'm, I'm master of my domain. You know, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm lost all this weight. I'm in control. I can go back and have one Krispy Kreme, right? I can go back and cheat a little bit because I know where I'm at and I got the freedom and this diet is so good. But what happens is like two months later, they're like, Broop, they blow up. They're like four times the size and they're on the Inquirer and, you know, in terrible pictures and all this. And we're just like, what happened, right? They're like four times bigger than they were before the diet. And you're like, wow, you went from slim fast to slim slow. Krispy Kremes, you know, that's, that doesn't work. And here's the deal with what Paul is trying to say in our lives. If you've been given freedom to leave sin behind, don't think that you can go back and just, oh, one little sin, it's no big deal. It's a big deal. It can lead to you coming right back and falling and being taken care of. Even a little sin brings big problems. Even when we're saying it's not sexual immorality, it's just anger. That's so small. That's so minor. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Even something that we think is, oh, minor, I got mad the other day. You let that go in check because you think, I'm forgiven, I'm, I'm good, it doesn't control me. You let it go in check, it's going to do something in your life. You guys ready for an object lesson? I got an object, I thought of, I thought of a really cool object lesson. Who's ready for an object lesson? See these two bottles, you guys ready? I was getting clever and crafty this week. You guys ready for this one? Check this out. I got a bottle of water right here. Uh, does anybody, if my object lesson, I'm asked for a volunteer, would anybody want to come up here and drink this bottle of water? Do I have any takers going to drink this? We got one. A couple of people are willing to drink it. Okay, before you come and volunteer and come up on the stage, let me just tell you what is in this water. You guys want to know what's in the water? What makes it blue here? What do you guys think? Where do you guys think I filled this up? Where do you guys think I filled this at? Toilet. I didn't fill it at the toilet. I filled it at the urinal. <laughs> and um, the blue you see is that little urinal cake. I got a little piece of it to, you know, kind of sanitize it a little bit. But it's, other than that, it's like, it's just water. I got no hairs in there. It's all good. Anybody still want to drink this water now? <laughs> no, no takers? How much? Uh, how much for your life? Uh, any takers on that? It's disgusting, right? What if I open a brand new, big contrast, right? What if I open a brand new, full, clean bottle of water? Would anybody want to drink this one, right? If it, if it really is a clean bottle of water, we'd, you have some takers, right? Okay. But what if I just decide just to mix it up a little bit, just for a little flavor saver for later? A little bit of that business. I'll put the cap back on. I didn't touch it. It's, it's all good. Anybody want to drink this bottle now? Not really. Yeah? You, 
you know what, for 10 bucks, really? <laughs> e. coli and whatever else you get in there. Ugh. But here's what I want, I want you to see in this little object lesson, because I'm so tricky like this today. This is polluted with sin, okay? This is you. This is full of sin. But when you become a Christian, you're clean and you're fresh. But did you know that even one drop of this back in here makes it undrinkable, right? Isn't that a good object lesson? This is what Paul is saying here. Now that you've been forgiven and you have freedom, stop saying, well, I can get away with that. It's permissible. Well, it's not beneficial. It's still bad. And you're risking what could happen to your life. God is trying to say, there's clear boundaries in my word. Don't, don't argue with the pastor. Don't argue with Christianity. This is God's word. And here they are. If you want what's best for your life, avoid this stuff. Don't go back to it. This is for people who don't know God and don't want his best in their life. Why are you guys as Christians dabbling and going back? And then he, gives, he, he confronts another argument. But you say, but you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about our bodies. He confronts specifically sexual sin because that was a major problem at Corinth. Any of these sins could apply. Any of these sins he could say will get out of control and they're bad for your life. But he goes, I'm going for this one because you guys got big problems in Corinth about this one. He says, the Lord cares about our bodies. God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say, back in Genesis, I think it's 2, 224 or something, the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Here's something that scripture makes known right here, is that when it says back in Genesis that the two become one, when husband and wife come together in the sexual relationship, it's saying this, there's more of a mystery around sex than skin on skin, people one night stands, having fun. What he's saying is there's something in the physical that is connected in the spiritual. See, God is a physical God. He created a physical universe. He created all of us in the physical realm, right? And not just as spirits, but he created a physical world that's beautiful and that we live in. He also, part of his plan for salvation for our lives, wasn't just a spiritual thing. It's that he sent his son to become physical in body as a man. And part of this salvation process, the spiritual of it, is it has to do with the physical. And this is trippy, but what God is saying is sex was meant for more than just a little fling or a little fun and something to be enjoyed in the physical. He says, there's something that I've created in human beings that is more deeper and more connected than what you can see. And it's, a, and it's a special thing. The reason that he reserved it for marriage is because it should be something taken in that has to do with accountability, with stability, with intimacy, both emotionally, spiritually, and physically. It's not meant to just be, well, the bodies are created, we like that, so we're gonna use it. God says, no, no, that's not what bodies were created for. I made your body, I know what's best for it. Do things my way. And he says, don't you even know that I own your body, so honor me with your body. Don't you know that when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit actually lives in you? So you're taking the Holy Spirit in 
whatever circumstances you're taking in physical. And you've got to realize that. Like God lives in me, and I'm, I'm bringing him into all of this stuff. God knows what's best, and it's not just because, oh, he's trying to spoil our fun, and that's like, oh, that, that's terrible. But we know ourselves that sexual immorality, it ruins people, right? We've seen it. It ruins families. It can ruin churches because it ruins pastors. We've seen that in the news. We know that it can ruin presidents. Remember that one not too long ago, Monica? Yeah, that was a fun one. Ruins nations. It breaks hearts. It brings emotional shame. It brings emotional baggage, diseases, abortion, unwanted pregnancy, the whole gambit, all of that stuff. God's going, why would you want to risk all of that? I've created it for a reason and a time and a place, and it's here, and it's in marriage. Any of this stuff, you got to trust me. It's going to hurt you. It's going to lead to baggage. There's a number of times I've counseled couples, married couples, or couples that are going to get married or whatever, and the massive problems that, that you deal with in a marriage when people have been active before, and they can't seem to kick all the memories, and the spouse can't stop being jealous over the old lovers and the old stuff that happened, and the baggage and the hurt and that weird connection that you have with all those people that you really shouldn't have that connection with, but just your spouse, and some of the diseases people bring into marriage and, and the guilt and the shame of abortions they had and, and kids that were not from these two and just different stuff. And I'm not saying this to shame anybody or to make anybody feel bad if that's where you've been at, but it's very clear that God says, do you see how if you do it my way, it, it's good and you have a whole lot less stress? And if you're sitting here right now and what I'm saying is just like, thanks a lot, Pastor Carl, you just made me feel real bad because that was me. I want to give you this hope and that Jesus is here to offer hope and freedom and forgiveness and to take away, wipe, wipe clean the slate of all those memories, to heal the heart that's been wounded, to, to resolve the jealousy issues, to resolve the comparisons, to take away all of that baggage that you're carrying right now. He can and will do it if you allow him to. I'm not bringing this stuff up to say, wow, that's how bad. No, Jesus is here. If you're still struggling with a lot of this stuff, celebrate recovery. We got prayer teams. You yourself can go talk to the Lord. Get involved with other Christians and just go, God, I, I kind of struggle with that. That stuff, that stuff he was talking about stirred stuff up within me. Well, God is here and he can heal you from that stuff. Amen? How many of you guys could even say boldly today, he has healed me of that, some of that stuff in the past? Amen. Look at those hands. Praise God. I love that. See, he's a God that brings that cleansing and that forgiveness. But what he's saying here, what Paul is trying to say is, don't mess around with any of this stuff. And this is what I love, and I want to end with this verse. Philippians 3, verse 8 in the message. I think it's going to be on the screen. And Paul says this, Yes, all the things I once thought were so important to me are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant dog dung. That's so awesome that the Bible says that, yeah? Dog dung. It says, all that stuff, I've dumped it all in the trash so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by him. Write this in your notes. Nothing compares to God's plans for us. There is no second best. Nothing compares to God's plans for us. He knows if we dabble in all that stuff and we return to that stuff that he set us free from, it's going to lead to hurt. It's going to lead to pain. It's going to lead to problems, confusion, and mix-ups in your life that he doesn't want you to have. He wants you to have what's best for your life. And he's just laying out, here's the basic rules. Here's what you don't need to do, and here's what you should do. Nothing compares to his plans for your life. Isn't that a good word? Yeah. Isn't it good to end with and to keep our eyes upon that? That verse in 
Philippians 3, 8, all of that other stuff, it doesn't compare. It's junk. I throw it in the trash. It's dog dung. Leave that behind. Oh, I stepped in some of it. I got to wipe it off because that's, uh, I'm done with that stuff. And God, you set me free, and your way is best, and thank you for giving me your way. That's good, huh? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we just, uh, we just thank you, Father God, for who you are in our lives and that you're real, Lord. And this Christianity thing, it's, it's real. It, it affects everything we do. And Lord, you've even created stuff in the physical to affect the stuff in the spiritual, and it makes a difference, all the decisions that we make. And Lord, I pray for those of us this morning that are maybe feeling like the sermon stirred up some stuff, that maybe we, we see some things that we still need to deal with in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the strength to address those problems, to give them to you, to lay them down, to surrender them. And Lord, we don't, we don't earn salvation, and we don't earn this perfection. Lord, we just give it to you. We let go of it. Father, and you come in and you fill us up and replace all the junk with your Holy Spirit, with your love, with your peace, your forgiveness, Lord. None of us have to carry guilt or shame anymore. But Lord, we can give it to you, and you heal us, and you bring freedom and forgiveness, and we thank you for that. And if we're struggling with that, Lord, I pray that people in this church would be moved to go do business with you further, to go pray on it, to seek you, to go talk to other believers that can, can stand in the gap with them and for them, to go talk to the prayer teams, to receive that prayer, Lord, to... to Go to the Celebrate Recovery if there's ongoing habits that are just tough to kick, that they would find forgiveness and freedom through you somehow, some way, Father God. And help us to always have an eye and a hand out and a heart for those that are still stuck in the old ways, that are out there in the world, that don't even know the harm that they're causing in their own lives. Lord, that we would come in and we'd, we'd lovingly bring them to a relationship with you where that stuff can, can disappear and be cleaned up and that you can provide a better way, the best way, for our lives. And as we're praying right now, if there's anybody that came to church this morning, you're here, and you've never really, honestly, 100% asked the Lord to be the Lord of your life, you've never really surrendered to him to say you really want to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, you've never really, really let go and given control and just said, God, here, change me. Here's everything I got. I'm tired of living for myself. Change me. If that's what's on your heart right now, I would love to lead you in a prayer that would make that happen. To lead you in a prayer that would say, God, here I am. I want you. I'm ready to take a step of faith. Do what you need to do in me. I choose you over this world, over my own plans for my life. So what we're going to do is I'm going to lead you in a prayer to do just that, to change your eternity right here and now, this Sunday morning. And if you would like to pray that prayer to become a Christian and, and bring the Lord into everything you do, let your, your life in his plans, in his hands. If that's what you want to do, I'm going to say a prayer with you. And how we're going to do it is I'm going to say the words out loud. I'm not going to make you pray out loud in front of all these people, but I'm going to ask that you would pray the words I'm saying out loud. You would pray them in your heart to God. And he hears you, and he will honor this prayer, and he will change your life from this day forward. And that's a prayer that you would like to pray. The people seated around you have their eyes closed and their heads bowed. But if that's a prayer that you'd like to pray, I would like to know who I'm praying with. And the way I'm going to know is I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask that you would raise your hand if you're saying, Pastor Carl, I want that. I want to be a Christian. I want God to change my life. If that's something you'd like to do, all you got to do is raise your hand when I count to three and then we're going to pray together. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Let me see those hands. Is there any hands? I see one right here. Two, three. Hold them up. Four, five, six. Thank you, Lord. Seven over there in the back. Amen. Thank you, Father God. Eight. Unbelievable. I saw about eight hands here today. 
Thank you, Lord. Go ahead and put those hands down, and I want you just to pray this in your heart to God. Lord, I'm, I'm here today, and um, I'm ready for a change. I'm tired of the choices that I've been making and that this world has been influencing me to make, Lord, and I'm done with it, Lord. I just want freedom. I want peace. I want healing. I'm tired of the guilt and the shame and the dumb decisions that I make, Lord, and the consequences that come with those decisions. Lord, I want the best plan A for my life, and I believe that you, Lord God, have that plan for me, that you and you alone. So this morning, very simple, I choose you. Here's my life. I surrender it to you. And I, I believe that I don't have to work hard to, to earn anything, Lord, but as I give my life to you, you begin to work in me and change me and better me and lead me and heal me and free me and forgive me. Lord, all of that I want. And so, Lord, I come to you today. I believe that your son Jesus came to this earth, died on that cross for my sins, and then on the third day rose above the grave, above death, above sin and shame, and overcame it through the resurrection. And now that power is offered to me, Lord, that I will not have to pay the price for my sins. But Lord, when I die, I go straight into your arms, into eternity, into the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I'm looking forward to that, and I thank you for setting me free. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to begin to do in the here and now in my life as you begin to work in me and change me. I look forward to what you're going to do. Thank you for accepting me as your child and for loving me this day forward. Lord, I promise in my end of it to live for you, to read the Bible, to know what it's talking about, to understand more about you, to stay involved in the family of God so that I can have other brothers and sisters that have my back and can help me. Lord, to learn to pray, to talk to you. and just It's just simple talking that you would talk back to me and, and direct my life. Lord, I pray that I could have the chance to get water baptized just as a symbol of, of what I'm doing in my heart right now, dying to the old self and being born again into this new life I have with you. Lord, I pray that you would empower me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that I would see actual miracles and power and answered prayers in my life because I believe you are a real God with real power. This is not just a religion. Lord, I am open. Do all that you need to do in my life. Thank you for accepting me as your child. Can't wait to see what you're going to do next. Thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, we all said amen, and we praise God for those eight people this morning. Praise God.